you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. I'm Oxus Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. .com. There you go, folks. The lady, when she sings it, that makes it official. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. The Chris Voss Show family, the family that brings you the Chris Voss Show glow. No other podcast, and I check with the attorneys, we can say this. No other podcast has the Chris Voss Show glow. The glow that you get from the impairment of knowledge. Impairment? That's not even right word. Impairment of knowledge being implemented into your brain. Use Stop me before I use uh, I verbs anymore or adjectives. I don't know. I flunked high school. Everybody knows I flunked second grade. But we have always the most amazing authors, the most amazing brilliant minds, the people that will change your life. Like, I, there isn't a show that goes by, and I've been talking about this lately, where I don't have an epiphany. And we talk about it in some of the private groups that we have for the Chris Voss Show, if you go to Facebook and other places for it. And there's always like tidbits, these gems of information in every show. And if you're not listening to every show, three to four times a day, weekday, uh, 15 to 20 times a week, you are missing out. So I hope you lose a lot of sleep at night with FOMO, just catching up on the show. Uh, as always, we ask you to refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Christmas, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Christmas, YouTube.com, Fortress Christmas, Christmas one on the tickety talkity. And you know, we actually have a private chat now going and a group on Facebook. It's got about 5,500 people in it. Uh, it's actually been around for several years, but we got a private chat now going where you can chat with me and the show and what's going on and episodes and all that good stuff. So check that out as well. Uh, you can go to chrisvossfacebook.com to get a link to that. Uh, as always, we have the most brilliant minds on the show, and they share with you the years, the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, a lifetime of study that they have done, gone into it. And today we have another brilliant mind on the show with us today. Uh, Scott Ritzheimer is on the show. He's uh, the scale architect and author of a book called The Founder's evolution and uh, he'll be giving us the deep dive on everything that went in his book his career uh what you can learn from it and all that good stuff he is uh, a gentleman who helped start nearly twenty thousand new businesses and nonprofits with his business partner and they started their multi-million dollar business through an exceptional extended growth phase over 10 years with 10 of double digit growth all before he turned 35 he founded scale architects to help founders and ceos identify and implement the one essential strategy they need right now to get them on track to predictable success and we're going to get into his details and everything that uh, goes on there his uh, book of course that you can i believe get free from a download uh is called the founder's evolution conquering the journey every founder must face welcome to the show scott how are you 
Hey, Chris, I'm very excited to be here. Uh, I, I, I love doing podcasts. And the reason for that is a podcast changed my life, actually. It was a, really? a show like this uh, mm -hmm. I was listening to. It's one of those days. You know, entrepreneurs have those days. Doesn't matter how successful you are, you do not graduate from those days. Uh, and so I'm having one of those days. Uh, I'm sitting in my truck, probably on the way to like a doctor's appointment or something, because I wasn't at the office. So I'm, I'm driving off somewhere. And, and I'm just kind of feeling bad about myself. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a multi-million dollar business. I'm in my twenties. I should not be feeling bad about myself, but it was just hard. Like, uh, and, and the, the real life bits here, I, I was contemplating whether or not I was going to have to fire some of my best friends. Uh -oh. that, that, that's really what it boiled down to. And, and what made it hard was it wasn't necessarily because they were doing something wrong. It's that I didn't know that they could do what was coming. Right? I didn't know that they could do the next thing that was coming. Oh. And I didn't know how to process that. I, I, I just, uh, you know, it's like, what do you do with that? And, and it, it kind of felt like, and you, you're in the entrepreneurial space, it kind of felt like I was the only one who had this problem. Right. I was uh, the only, you know, uh, and, and so I'm sitting there kind of feeling bad for myself. I turn on a podcast and this guy starts talking about the most exciting business topic you can ever hear of. Ready? Business life cycle stages. Hmm. thrilling right stunning. stunning uh it could be the most boring thing in the world but it's like the guy was reading my mail right it's like he had just gone through my inbox and looked at the last correspondence i had with half my team members it's like he had a camera in my office <laughs> maybe he did and, and yeah, maybe he did uh i'll have to ask him uh he's a good friend now but um but basically what happens he goes through and describes this situation that i feel like i'm the only one who's ever had and it was the very first time that I ever felt like I was on a map. It was the, it was the first time I felt like someone knew where my business was, someone mm -hmm. knew where I wanted it to go, and someone else knew the path between where I was and where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. Because before that, I, it was kind of like I, I had bought into the idea that you know every day we kind of we still we stepped off the map into the wild unknown, and I had a map of what was behind me, but I had no idea what was up ahead of me. The first time I sat in a leadership team meeting was the one that I led, right? I just, I, it was like, I had no idea what I was doing. And, and this guy, it gave me so much hope. Like the idea that I didn't have to figure it all out, the idea that someone really had gone down that road before uh, and, and could show me the steps through, it was, you know, it just totally changed my paradigm for business. I went, I got his book. Uh, you know, people hear about books on podcasts all the time, and then I do it too. We don't go and get the book. Go get the book. Uh, but, uh, I, I go get his book, and, and then I do what we always do with with books that we hear on podcasts. I stuck it on my shelf and didn't read it for like three years. <laughs> <laughs> read the book too. And so, and Buy so, I'm, I, do it too. I do it too. Uh, so I'm sitting there uh, three years later, and I'm I'm having another one of those moments. You know, I still haven't graduated from this, and, uh -oh. and I'm like, why is this so hard? Right? Like, we should have this wonderful business. We've got millions of dollars coming in, and it just seems to all be evaporating away. Like, why is this so hard? I was like, I remember this guy had a funny Irish accent. He had an idea about how to fix this. Let me go find that book. And I, I did. It's this book behind me. It's called Predictable Success. And huh. uh, I basically opened it up, went to the backside of the book, did the poor man's implementation, and just went to my team and said, this is what we're going to do, right? We read through the book together and said, how are we going to do that? And we walked through. He's got five steps in there. We walked through. And in a year, we tripled our bottom line. Oh, wow. The next year, we added another seven percentage points to our profit margin. The next year, we did it again. Oh, wow. 
And, and it just completely changed the trajectory of my business, but more than anything, it changed the trajectory of my life. And so this is a very long answer to your question, but I love podcasts for that reason, because I've seen the transformative power that they can have. There you go. We're going to hire you as an ad salesman. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so give us your dot coms. Where can people find you on the interwebs, order up this book, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So good luck spelling my name, Scott Ritzheimer. We'll get it in the show notes, hopefully. But uh, I, if that wasn't hard enough, you know, I have folks on my show and they, they say, I'm you know, just look up my name. I'm the only one out there. Well, Scott Ritzheimer should be a unique name, but I'm not the only one out there because I'm a junior. So uh, mm. if you if you look up Scott Ritzheimer, the one who looks like he's about 14, that's me. Uh, the other one's my dad. He's a wonderful guy. Uh, he will mess with you if you try and connect with him. So don't uh -oh. do that. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, if you go to scalearchitects.com or you look up Scott Ritzheimer, uh, you'll find us uh, all over the place. Uh, a ton of free resources for founders and entrepreneurs. Awesome sauce. So give us a 30,000 foot overview of what you do there at scalearchitects.com. Yeah, I, I, there's this unique thing in, in kind of the course of starting businesses that I, I think I, I, this isn't the last time it's going to be this way, but I think it is the first time. And it's that as founders and leaders, we've got so much access to, to brilliant minds, right? How yeah. many podcasts do you do a week? I think you said 20 that you publish. 20, yeah. uh, there's never been a time in human history where, where entrepreneurs have had as, an, as much access to really great advice as there is now. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is how do we know what we need to apply today, right? Mm -hmm. How could I possibly keep up with the flow of things that really, really smart people are telling me I should do? And so we've got this, we've got this challenge ahead of us, which is we've got all this wonderful information. What do we do with it? Uh, how do we know which of those really, really smart things are actually going to move us forward? And and so what I, I do and what my team of scale architects does, we use a couple of different tools, both for organizations and individuals to help them dial in on what I think is the most important question in business uh, and, and really in any type of organization and in many ways in life is when. Right, when? not why. Right, Simon Sinek nailed it with why, but that's not the most important thing. Uh, not even what or how or any of those things. There's a time and place for all of those, and there's a time and place when each of those questions—why, when, what, whoever, uh, whatever it may be—there's a time and place for each of those questions. But the fundamental challenge that I think we're missing is how do we identify what the time and place is for that? Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, there are some clients that we have. And we take them through this process of, of building system, more system and process. They don't have enough system and process inside their organization. This is just kind of fundamental. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other organizations that have too much system and process. They're bureaucratic. They're arthritic. They're weighed down. They're moving slow. They're and arthritic. So, I love that term. Yeah, yeah. So you've, <laughs> you've got someone who comes on the show and they're like, Absolutely. companies to succeed, they they need more systems and processes. Here's mm -hmm. three stories of people. We added systems and processes and they scaled to 10x. Mm -hmm. But you're sitting there and you're like, man, I feel like we have too much system and process. What's wrong with us? Mm -hmm. Right? So anything that we anything that we do, any strategy that we have, it has to be tempered by and, and filtered by that question of when. When are we in our, our life cycle as an organization? When am I in my journey as a founder or a leader? And what are the things that will give me a disproportionate return right now? Mm -hmm. There you go. Uh, so uh, in, your, in your book, uh, let's get a 30,000 review that as well. 
So I, I like to I start the book with a story, and and it's the best way of describing what's at stake here. Mm-hmm. So let, it's football season now, uh, so this is very timely. So imagine it's the big game. We can't say the, the name of the big game because we'll both get in trouble, but it's the big game. Uh, and, uh, and, and your team is down by four. You got to get a touchdown. Good news is you're only a couple yards away, right? So we're on the wow. three-yard line. You got to get in. And uh, it's, you know, it's, fourth and, it's fourth down. Everything's on the line. There's a couple seconds left. You name it, it's happening. And and so you've got it. You've got the perfect play. You guys have run it a thousand times. You know it like the back of your hand. Uh, and so y- you call the play, and then you stand on the sideline because this time you're not the player on the field. You're the yeah. coach on the sideline. Mm-hmm. And the best you can do is hope that you've trained your team well enough to execute on the plan. So it's the perfect call. You know that you know it's going to work. Make the call. Quarterback, everyone lines up. Ball's hiked. Uh, quarterback gets it. It's a fake to the running back. So you fake to the running back. It all works. The defense bites, right? Everyone collapses on the hole. They, uh, and it's just, it, it's a dream come true. Everything is working perfectly. And you kind of pan to the left and the star wide receiver who's supposed to be making a, a break for the back of the end zone all by himself got the wrong call. <laughs> so he's sitting, That's he's horrible. blocking, right? And, and it's like horror of horrors. Like, what do you do? And so, you know, without a moment's hesitation, you know exactly what to do. And and no one else knows how this is possible. They're going to study the physics on it for the next 40 years. But somehow you take off down the sideline, right? You chuck the binder, the headset goes flying, the jacket falls off, and you're sprinting faster than you've ever run uh, in your life. You make it to the end zone. You dive just in time to make the catch where the ball is flying. And, and you've done that hundreds of times. You're ready for the applause. You know what comes next. But what happens? Silence. <laughs> right? You could Sound hear a pin drop. 80,000 people that were screaming a moment ago sit there stunned and shaking their heads. The only thing happening is these little yellow flags start come flying in your direction and and men in black and white stripes start running at you. And and what used to be uh, the most the diving cat right the most celebrated move is now an embarrassment to yourself and your team. Oh man. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> and and so what what you what you would have thought would made you famous now makes you infamous, right? Uh, you are now the talk of the town, and and for not the right reason, your team loses, uh, and and you've made a laughing stock of everyone. And and we've never seen this happen in you know the big game, uh, in the whole history of the big game, and and it would be ludicrous if it did. But this happens all day, every day, in almost every single business. Mm-hmm. And so you you talk in the in the uh, uh, some of the contents of your book, the founders' evolution, uh, stage one, the dissatisfied employee. Uh, you've got the startup entrepreneur, the reluctant manager, the disillusioned leader, the chief executive, the true owner, the visionary founder, and finding a guide. Uh, and I like uh, the analogy you used of you know your your company's arthritic. Uh, tell us a little bit about your hero's journey, uh, how you got through life and, and what got you into this business. What, what made you want to start this company scale architects and, and, uh, do it. Yeah. And, and that, 
goes to the the story I, I, I mentioned here. So the kind of the rest of that story, it's a it's a weird one. Just buckle mm. up. So I was an accidental entrepreneur. I, I accidentally co-founded a company when I was 21 years old. Uh, and, and to understand how that happens, we got to wind back about 18 months. Mm. Uh, I was uh, I was a, a, a 20 year old. I was um, uh, just married and mm -hmm. moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and I needed a job. Like this, this, is, uh, this is how much I planned ahead. Like I, I'm in a place, I'm married, I don't have a job. And so uh, I bumped into a guy at my church and he's like, hey, you know, I, I heard you were looking for a job. We need someone to come in. And I, I, I did the mailroom thing. Like I literally checked the support inbox for the, the business. And, uh, and about three months later, he, he sold the company. He owner financed it to oh. another group, sold the company. And, uh, and I watched over, you know, about 15 months, I, I watched the both businesses systematically, but unintentionally destroyed. Mm -hmm. it, it just, it, it couldn't have gone worse. And, uh, and this is my introduction to, to the world of business, right? And I was fascinated by it. Uh, in, in, in one of the most painful seasons of my life, I, I fell in love with business mm -hmm. and I got to see what made that not work. I learned more about what made business work and not work <laughs> over not the course of, yeah, over the course of it than someone else, uh, than, than I could have. And I actually did end up going back and, and doing uh, college later, uh, mm -hmm. which is a little bit of a joke, but, um, uh, but I, I learned a heck of a lot more in 15 months than I did in, in four years of, of business school. So, um, as as that you know is is just falling apart, we went from thirteen employees to three, uh, mm. and they were all and we we're all part time when we were left. They basically call and say, "Hey, we're not doing it anymore. We're done. We're going to declare bankruptcy. If you want any of your stuff back, come and get it." Wow. And at this point, um, you know, I, I, just everyone has lost in this situation. But coming back and getting it, you know, the business was like mm. two broken computers, and you know those office chairs that have been used so much that they're just plastic on the bottom. <laughs> you know, there's there's no padding left no padding like that. Left. That is the, the cumulative assets of the, the corporation at this point, where this two broken computers and a, a, a painful chair. Uh, that painful chair lived another seven years. I don't know how, but it, it stuck around for a long time. Uh, but he calls me on his way back. He's in a U-Haul with the two broken computers and the, the nasty chair and says, hey, will you, will you relaunch this company with me? Uh, and wow. so we did. We, re we relaunched the company together. Now, this is September 2008. Not uh -huh. a great time to launch sorry, a business. Sorry, uh, so stock market falls 40% and, and somehow we pull through. Uh, we ran the thing from his basement uh, until the HOA would just not have it any longer. Uh, and then we kept going by busing people in, uh, in my pickup truck. And, and so like we, wow. we just, it was the entrepreneurial story, right? Um, and, and it, it, you know, it worked really well. It was fun. It was so much fun. Uh, and until it wasn't, and, and that was that moment that we we talked about, and 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 going through that, and and you know, Les McEwen's the guy uh, who was on the podcast who wrote the book Predictable Success, and you know, he has this chapter in the book on a, on a life business life cycle stage called Whitewater, and, and that's where my business Whitewater. was at. It's where the complexity inside the business causes us to start causing problems. It's where these oh. young, successful entrepreneurial uh, organizations 
almost start caving in on themselves. Oh. And that's exactly where we were. And, and all the things that we were doing or all the things he said you do, you know, that don't really work all that well. We tried to sell our way out. We tried to hire our way out. We tried to market our way out. We tried to lead our way out and inspire our way out. And, and it was all good. There was nothing inherently wrong with any of those things, but it wasn't enough to get us out. And so there were two things I learned in that process. One I was already shared is how to get out of whitewater, right? Uh, and it, it's actually a, a relatively simple uh, task. Uh, once you know what to do, it's, it's not easy to do. It's easy to understand. We'll be clear on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the second one was I'm built for that a as painful as it was. Once I finally understood it, I realized, I realized it was a, a strange thought to have, but I remember still to this day, I'm sitting on a plane. Uh, we're, uh, my wife's from uh, Europe. She's from Norway. And so when we'd, we'd get an opportunity to go back to Norway, we'd kind of ditch the kids and go do something in, in Europe because the tickets were cheap. So we ditch the kids, we fly down to Nice, uh, France, right on the, the Riviera, and we hang out in Monaco and watch Formula One cars, right? It's like the trip of trips. And what's Mr. Romantic doing on the way down there? I'm listening to an audiobook on business lifecycle stages. <laughs> That's stink, present. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, yeah. So, so dad, husband, you know, uh, Mr. Romance, uh, you know, score one. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, I still remember looking out the, and I'm literally looking out the window over the countryside of France and he's talking about whitewater. And, and that's when I realized it's like my two things, my business is in whitewater and this guy's got a solution on how to get us out. Hmm. The second thing I, I realized was if I, I, I could get other people out of whitewater, if I could help them avoid getting stuck where we've been for the last three years and, and do that as a living, I would die a happy man. And, and that's where Scale Architects came from. It came from the desire to take what I learned, what worked for us, and mm -hmm. to help other business owners and nonprofit uh, leaders as well to recognize if they're in that whitewater stage and what to do about it and how to get out. Oh, wow. And so that became your, your big motivation to help others deal with the, uh, this is the thing I love about entrepreneurs. They go through, uh, you know, they find something or they solve something and they go, hey, I bet a lot of other people have this problem. And they exponate it from there and share it to people and uh, help change everyone's life. Yeah. So that's the beautiful thing about it. So in the book, uh, let's talk about what are the seven stages, if you could tease some of those out to us, of the founder's evolution. So how long we got? About two hours, right? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we, we won't be we'll able to buy through. the book. We, you know, we yeah. We, yeah so good. just, just, and you we list them off. We'll kind of list these off. <laughs> <laughs> we'll list them off, and uh, we'll drill into a couple that are, are particularly poignant for mm -hmm. for most leaders where we tend to get stuck. Uh, so first one is dissatisfied employee, and, and there's lots of dissatisfied employees out there who have no business starting a business. Uh, but <laughs> it, when you look at those who started, it's, it's, it's the it is the beginning of the story. Uh, and, and interesting, you, you say, what's your hero's journey? I actually built my model off of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. So this is the call. Wow. Uh, this is the time where it's like, hey, you can keep doing what you're doing. Now, most founders are actually reasonably well employed. They're usually, when you look at the research on it, they're, they're making about 150 to 180, 85% of what other people make in their role. So if they're selling, they're really good at selling. If they're doing ops, they're really good at doing ops. And, and what they do is you know, the difference between a dissatisfied employee who is an entrepreneur at the beginning of their journey and a dissatisfied employee who just needs to get over themselves is that the dissatisfaction doesn't get better when the job conditions change. 
Huh. Right. I, I always tell folks, if you can do anything other than start a business, do it. Uh, and it, and only once you realize there's no other way, there's nothing else that's going to satisfy this burning desire that I have. That's mm -hmm. the that's an indication that it's at least worth a shot. It's still going to be a hard, uh, hard time. But that's what it takes. It takes that type of it, 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 it has to be uh, to get through. So dissatisfied employee, you may, you, you, the dissatisfaction boils, you, you get to a point where it's like, all right, let's go. And, and you jump in. And uh, the second stage is where most folks start. It's the startup entrepreneur, right? Is I'm, I'm hanging my shingle, I'm doing my thing. Uh, for me, it's when it's your full, it's your full time job, right? It's not necessarily a side hustle. There's a part of that, but the the overall, uh, you know, transition from stage to stage, it's like, hey, this is we're doing this for real. This is our full time deal. Mm. And uh, and what I like to what I do in the book to make this easier because it's it's kind of abstract for founders, right? We call ourselves CEO from day one, but you don't really start acting like a CEO until stage five. Ah. And so what happens in between? You know, like what what else is there? And so what I've done is for each stage of the of the journey that we go through, I've also identified a stage in the the architecture of a of a football team, basically. So the where I'm going with this is stage two is the star player. That's how you win. It's stage two, right? Uh, if you get you get out there, you sell a whole bunch of stuff, you deliver, you do it by being awesome at what you do. That's how you win as a startup entrepreneur. And when you do that, what happens? You get more clients. Uh, when you get more clients, you get more work. When you get more work, what do you need? You need more help. Uh, and, and something shifts when you've got about a handful of employees, right? When you've hired a handful, there's, there's, there's this tipping point where you move from uh, having folks that help you to, I got to pay for all these people. Right. Like I, I, I got, and, and, and what makes it, it'd be fine if like, if, if they were unbelievable in every single way, shape or form, but they're people and they don't think like us. And if they did, it would be even worse. Uh, and so we've got these people who don't really think like us. Uh, and, and there's two reasons for that. One is that you don't really want people who think exactly like you because they wouldn't come work for you in the first place and you wouldn't want to manage them if they did. That's true. It's, and you don't have all the answers too. That's, that's one thing I learned early in business. So I need people that are more diverse with have diff different experience and hopefully maybe you're smarter than me uh, because um, I need all the help I can get. That's 100% right. And and so you also don't know how to hire very well. So it's like, I need people who are smarter than me, but there are some people who are smarter than you that'll, that'll move you forward like lightning in a bottle. And there mm -hmm. are other people who will not move you forward, right? And, and, and we don't quite know how to differentiate those yet. Uh, and so we become what I call the reluctant manager. There's not mm -hmm. a founder out there who, who starts a business so that they can manage people. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just it's just not how founders are wired. Uh, and and to an extent, it's something I call the star player paradox. But the better you are as a star player, the more brilliant you are at making strategic decisions, the better you are at selling, the, the smarter you are as an attorney, the harder it is to get to the next stage, oh, the really? harder it is to be an effective manager, especially as a founder. Uh, and so that third stage, that reluctant manager, it's like being a captain on the field. Right. 
you mm -hmm. don't have the luxury of being able to stand back and kind of watch everything unfold. You got people trying to take your head off, right? You like, you've got to do your job in real time and somehow keep the other 10 people on the field moving in the same direction at the same time. And it's hard. It, it, it's just, it, you're, you're constantly juggling. Most reluctant managers are exhausted. They're working massive hours, but it doesn't feel as fruitful as it used to. Uh, and, and so, the, the the great news is that it gets worse. Uh, and, and so what happens is we move from this reluctant manager, we, we finally get a couple of people around us that can help kind of with the management load. And then again, the organization takes off. Mm -hmm. But as it does, we keep finding out that there are a lot of people who are smarter than us. Uh, we, we, we keep finding out that we're not quite as clever as we thought. We're not quite as good a leader as we thought. And we end up like that coach on the sideline running up and back, you know, up and down the field, trying to like will our team forward. But you can run until you're blue in the face, but your team's got to move the ball forward. That's true. And, uh, you know, you bring up some good paradigms. I like this. You know, I'm thinking uh, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking in my head of uh, who's the Patriots coach? Uh, Belichick. Belichick. There you go. And, you know, it's true. You hire top performers that are good at what they do. Like, I was I was I was a pretty good CEO and know how to manage a company and be an entrepreneur. I was a pretty good salesman, but I wasn't a great salesman. And I hired some great salesmen, you know, Tom yeah. Brady type salesmen. And those guys could kick ass. And yeah, you're right. I like this analogy you're using because um, the other thing you mentioned earlier that I wanted to fall back to 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 really put a highlight on is you you talked about how um, the these employees don't think like you. Yeah. That was one of the dumbest and hardest things that I've struggled with as an entrepreneur was trying to realize that not everybody had my same sort of motivations and not everybody sort of had my sort of drive. And, you know, it, for me, I'm like, Hey, I'm building this empire and this great company. And it's this big, it's my dream. And other people just like, Hey, I'm just collecting a paycheck here, man. I'm doing my job. And, you know, I'm, you know some people were kind of phoning in. Some people were working it hard, but they just kind of, that was their scope. And so, you know, I was kind of like, why does everyone want to go home at five? I like staying here 24 seven and, uh, you know, making that differentiality and then understanding what people want so I could yeah. serve them better yeah. was really, um, a transition that it took me years to kind of identify and make, I couldn't figure out why everyone was as pumped as I was, but I also like that analogy of, of how you have to realize what your position is, especially yeah. in servant leadership to, to be the one who's the cheerleader, the the coach who's helping your team succeed, because yeah. there are things you can't do. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I can't do a lot of the redundant work like accounting and, and, uh, although I did some accounting, um, but, uh, uh, I, I can't do some of the redundant stuff that people are really good at and, yeah. and that they excel at that, but I can't excel at that. I expect, excel at the vision innovation. So I love that analogy that you bring up the football yeah. analogy, because it really, helps you understand your place. So hopefully people think of that when they're listening. Yeah, hundred <clears> percent. <throat> and, and at this stage, it's what I call the disillusioned leader to kind of get us, this is stage four of the process. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I kind of like it. We're kind of on a, a, a storytelling movie thing here. Uh, if it's kind of like about, you know, 80 minutes into a 90 minute movie. If you look at what's happened, just about everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. <laughs> 
Right, you, you you stop most movies about 10 minutes before the end and they're downright miserable, right? People are dying. Like, you know, it's just, it's just bad. It's messy. Now, if you like rom-coms, they're, they're not together anymore. You know, it's, it's oh, yeah. everything. Yeah. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And, and, and if you were watching the movie, it's a really bad time for the hero to make a decision, right? Uh, but this is where a lot of uh, of entrepreneurs start questioning, can I take this? Is this it? Like, is this as good as it gets? Uh, is this as far as I can take my business? Do I need to hire a professional CEO? Do I just need to sell and and, and start over or do something else? And all of those are valid uh, you know, options. But there's a better option, right? There's a way to get to those last 10 minutes. Uh, and when you do, you move into the next stage, stage five. I call it the, the chief executive. It's where you really become a CEO. And most visionaries are, are so good at it once they understand what that actually means. And most CEOs, most sorry, most founders would sell their organization short by not making that leap. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I kind of liken it to being a GM in the box. And it's nice because you get air conditioning now, right? There's some perks that come with the transition, but more than anything, it allows you to get back to being the visionary that you were when you started the organization. Yeah, that's what you want to be is in that visionary state where you have the big picture. You know, you, you get lost in the muck up of the details and or, or trying to do everything yourself. You know, you don't delegate. That's another important aspect of the analogy used of the, of the coach and, you know, the Bill Belichick, you know, and, and stuff, you know, if you are the star player in your team, that might be ba a bad thing really yeah. when it comes down to it. Right. Yeah. Cause you want to hire people that are smarter than you. Um, and that are better than you. They bring something to the, uh, offer. You know, if you just hire people who are about as dumb as you are, I'm not talking about you, but uh, as dumb as I was, um, you're just going to have the same people and you're just going to have the, all the same ideas. And you're just going to be sitting around going, well, we, we all agree on everything, which, uh, it still sucks. So this isn't working. <laughs> it's so true. And it's why I think when is such an important question, because there is a time when you should be the best, mm -hmm. right? When, when you're starting off and it's just you, you don't have anyone to delegate to. Now, hopefully you can get through that relatively quickly. And there's different strategies around that. But but there's a time when when it really is about you pushing the envelope. It, it really is about you being exceptional, right? You may not be the best sales rep in the world, but you needed to learn how to sell uh, what it is that you did. Otherwise, you were never going to make it to the next stage anyway. So I think why it's so hard, and this is why we get stuck, is because the things we're holding on to, the things that made us the best player, right? You look at a quarterback in the combine, they're looking at their hand size. They're looking at you know, all these different... It doesn't matter how big your hand is or what your zero to 40 is uh, or your 40-yard dash when you're a coach on the sideline. Those things don't matter anymore. And when you're a coach on the sideline, that's obvious. It's blindingly obvious. But when you're a coach inside of your organization you're and you're the founder, it's not that obvious, right? And you still feel like, hey, I got to make the diving catch. I got to move us forward. It's on me. It's on me. It's on me. And it just isn't anymore. And so we get stuck hanging on to the strategies of the past. And not only are they not serving us well, they're actively undermining our ability to proceed. Wow. Uh, you know, that's, that's so important. Uh, you know, you, the one thing you talk about in the book is uh, why do so many organizations begin to die the moment their founder leaves? Is this kind of why maybe, you know, they 
they try and do everything? This is one of the reasons. So one of the main reasons, especially for young entrepreneurial organizations, is that the founder tries to skip a stage or two or six, right? So uh, it's not until stage six that you become what I call a true owner. So you, you, you get to stage five, chief executive, you get to stage six, true owner. And there's a reason for that progression. We lay it out in the book. You understand why. But here's the thing. You do not get to skip stages in here. You can pretend like you've skipped a stage, mm. but you won't learn the skills that are necessary to succeed at the next stage because they build off of the previous stage. Mm. And so one of the reasons why is because the founder, it, there's this all, like kind of obsession with you know owning, not running. And, and there's, there is truth behind that, but only in the proper time. So that's one reason. The second reason, which is really what we go after in the book, is that even those that do get to that stage, there's one critical error that they get wrong 90 plus percent of the time. And that is that we look for somebody to succeed us, right? So once the founder leaves, it doesn't matter if they sell or, or, or hold, right? It doesn't matter if they own it or sell it. Who owns it is largely irrelevant, although it, you know, it has some to do with the inner workings. But the big reason why is the person at the top of the org chart that's replacing the founder is not a visionary. It's very difficult for visionary founders to hand off their company to other visionaries. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, it's the passion and so, sometimes they either don't have a vision, maybe they have a different vision. It's a shock to the system where people are like, yeah, this wasn't when I signed up with when I signed up with the previous guy. So I'm out. Yeah. Um, but I, I love what you talk about, about getting to be the stage seven, the visionary founder. You know, a, a lot of people, um, you know, it, it takes a while to get through that whole process. And I like how you've, you've, you've laid it out so that people can understand the different stages. Um, do you, do you find, you, you know, you guys talk about on your website, I believe you, you guys helped uh, launch over 20,000 new businesses and stuff like that. Is that correct? Yes. There you go. And so you found that this, this archetype of these seven stages really follows this the the true success of of uh, launching companies yeah again and again and again I, and like you mentioned there's 20,000 there were businesses in there there were nonprofits in there there were churches in there and schools and uh, scale ups and startups it was just the whole gamut uh, and, and and as I'm looking particularly for founders it's different for even generation 2 inside the company or you know the the people who buy company there's a difference but when it cam comes to those who start those organizations it doesn't matter if it's for profit or nonprofit, they're cut from the same cloth. Uh, and, and what was happening is even though there's a thousand different variations and all these different industries and, and all these different people, this one story is playing out again and again and again and again. And, uh, and that's where it came from. Awesome. Awesome. So as we round out the uh, hour, uh, let's talk about what you guys do, how people can onboard with you off your website, uh, what sort of, you know, I, I see a link here where they can, of course, download the free ebook that we've been talking about. Uh, there's a free consultation set up. Uh, talk to us about what you do there at Scale Architects and how people can onboard with you if they're, you know, how they're, uh, if they're a good fit or not, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah. So we work largely with entrepreneurial organizations that want to scale up uh, and and are anywhere along that journey. So we've got a team of scale architects across the country, several other continents as well, uh, but primarily here in the U.S. who specialize in helping business leaders, nonprofit leaders, uh, founders, entrepreneurs to recognize what stage they're in personally, what stage their organization is in together and then boil all that down to, hey, what's the one thing that we really need to be focusing on right now? Mm-hmm. And, and in doing so, we get to, there's so many things that folks get to stop doing. It's not even funny, right? Like, I, I tell folks, you go through the book and you just look at what stage you're in personally. You can cut 10 hours off of this week's work. Wow. Just by recognizing there are things that you're holding on to you should not be doing anymore. There are things someone told you for five stages from now that you don't need to be doing yet. Mm -hmm. And by understanding what you need to do right now, you understand there are 20, 30 things you don't need to do right now. (laughs) There's and and is that because they need to delegate it or it's a waste of time or yes. Yes. It's it's all of those, right? Uh, it's because individually you're hanging on to stuff that you should have gotten rid of two stages ago. And it's because organizationally you guys are doing stuff that was necessary for a previous stage, but isn't necessary anymore. So it's both. I mean, I, I've had uh, teams go through this together and, and I'll usually come in, especially in that whitewater stage. We'll come in and work with the whole team. A session or two in, they'll realize about 40% of what we're doing is nonsense. And it's not that it was always nonsense. It's just nonsense. Now we've not had a frame to go back and reassess. These are great things from a long time ago that we've carried forward through good things. And now they're just downright bad things that are getting in the way. Wow. And, and, and these are these are things that trip up a lot of different uh, entrepreneurs. You guys have diagnostic workshops you do, accelerator workshops, one-on-one coaching, uh, there's even some, uh, I like this, take the, uh, what is your natural leadership style? You've got a styles quiz on here, uh, visionary operator, processor, synergist. Um, uh, you left off alcoholic. <laughs> that, that's, that's bonus points. Uh, that's, that's the bonus, last question. The bonus, for bon- bonus points. No. Don't do that. People. That's just a joke. Uh, I've seen that movie. Uh, and you've got a, li- a free life cycle quiz where you can get a, uh, kind of see where you are. If you're in the white water or treadmill right. area, yeah. uh, where you are in your business and li- likely you're in the white water area if you're, if you need help, but you know, these asking for help is so important. You know, sometimes, imp- uh, owners and correct me if i'm wrong here but sometimes what owners do is they just think if they just keep treading water things will get better yeah um sometimes you know you you build a great business model and you're successful and in whatever stage you're in you know you you think you got it down and then the market changes and suddenly your legs are gone up from under you and you know you're bleeding you're bleeding uh, expenses and profit um and you've got a course correct and you're like, well, I don't know, we've got to do something different than what we've always been doing. How do we do that? And, uh, so you need help. And, you know, I've, when we used to take over companies or look at taking over companies, we used to run an ad in the paper that said, uh, you know, we have money to loan companies that are in trouble. And really what we were looking for is, uh, companies to take over because nine times out of 10, the people that needed money to loan, uh, were failing at their business and they were just been treading water for the longest time. And yeah. they were the people who need to be removed. Sometimes they had, uh, you know, they had 
great cash opportunities or assets. They were asset rich, cash poor, cash poor because they bled their companies out treading water. Uh, but nine times out of ten, they they were the ones who needed to go. So we were white knighting a lot of stuff, and then sometimes a lot of stuff would fold into our little empire companies. Um, so we could, you know, you'd be like, hey, we can use the furniture over there. <laughs> <laughs> or you know sometimes the employees uh were the valuable ones you could bring in uh but you know nine times out of ten they were just trading water like i would meet people that for like months and months if not years had somehow been just throwing good money after bad and borrowing money and doing everything they could and and you just come in and you're just like you're six months away from bankruptcy i don't think you realize where you're at and how hard you're bleeding out and uh and a lot of times you know we'd offer them a, a first right of refusal um because they'd be like well if you're interested in my company there must be a way to save it and i'm like no the, the way to save it is we give you some locking money and you go away yeah and we'll come in and we'll do what we do to save the company but we can't we can't have you in here anymore because you're yeah. the problem and uh so that that uh you know, you've got to make that decision that like, hey, I need help. I need people that are smarter than me. I need to go beyond that because when you get the stage where I show up, uh, and it's funny, we give people a first right of refusal and I tell them 100% of the time, do not call me a week before bankruptcy. You need to, we need to do this deal now because uh, in two or three months from now, my offer is going to be half of what it's going to be. And if you call me a week before bankruptcy, there is no offer. So don't do it. You know, when everyone called me, hey you still interested in buying my turd not now no you've that thing is probably so far upside down i i can't save it i might be able to i mean i'll buy your furniture off you or something but yeah. i'm not buying that business with the liens that are going to be on it yep um and stuff you know i'll i'll scrape your employees or something but no and by that time you're just like i told did i not tell you <laughs> but yeah so great point to the treading water thing and asking for help and reaching out to people yeah. like yourselves that know how to people get through their white water final thoughts and pitch out as we go on on the show man so the big thing that uh, I, I, I actually end every chapter with this and, and every time I get an opportunity to come on a show like this, I always want to end here as well, because the, the threat of knowing what the next level actually is, is that we withhold our joy until we get there right? Mm -hmm. I'll be happy when I become a true owner. I'll be happy when I become a visionary founder. I'll be happy when I can just get out of being a reluctant manager. <laughs> and, and the reality of it is you won't be happy there either, right? Uh, and, and so uh, the story I always tell is uh, we had our, our first uh, kid when I was 25 years old. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, we had our last when I was 35 years old. And the degree to which I showed up as a dad for the first two years of my daughter's life versus my son, who was 10 years earlier, right? I was a different person over 10 years. Hmm. And the joy that I had in the first two years of my daughter's life just recently versus what I lost with my sons, hmm. I, I was just I, with my sons was kind of like, here, mom, you know, give them back whenever they can play soccer or something. I, I don't know what to do. What do I do with this? Uh, and and so the the biggest thing that I, I want folks to get out of this is not to weaponize the next stage and and put everything, including yourself, at risk, but to but to simply go and, and look at where can I find joy in the stage I'm in right now. Hmm. Uh, and, and that's the biggest thing. A lot of times when I'm coaching with folks, yes, we help you get to the next stage, but especially in my one-on-one -on -one stuff, it almost always boils down to what do you have to do to be happy now? We, hmm. you, like you're doing great. Enjoy it. 
Uh, yes, you can tackle the next hill. And yes, I'll show you how to do that. But how can you find joy in today? There you go. Finding joy in today, people. It's kind of fun. Being present. That's another big action. I think that's what you're trying to say too, right? Coming from the guy who was listening to business cycle books on a romantic trip. But that was also 10 years ago. So yes, absolutely. Being present in the moment and 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 it's it's more than just kind of the cliche that that sounds like. Not the folks that are saying that mean it as one, but it's saying what specifically about today can I enjoy that I won't have anymore? Because when you achieve the success that you want, it's going to cost you something that you're taking for granted today. There you go. It's so important. So uh, how can people onboard with you? What website do they need to go to to uh, pick up the book and get to know you better? Absolutely. It's all at scalearchitects.com uh, altogether. No dots or dashes or anything like that. Scalearchitects.com. If you head to forward slash founders or click on free book at the top of the site, you can get a copy of the full book. Uh, we decided to make it free for everyone. Uh, so go ahead and get it. You can download it instantly. Uh, and you'll see there's, there's, like you mentioned, there's quizzes and assessments and uh, consultations, everything that you need is right there on that one page. There you go. Well, it was fun to have you on. Thank you very much, Scott. We really appreciate it. An absolute pleasure, Chris. Thanks so much. There you go, guys. Get the free book. I love the stages thing. It's so complete on everything else uh, that goes into it. And I've got this on a different screen. It is called The Founder's Evolution, Conquering the Journey Every Founder Must Face. Uh, and I, I highly recommend it from the discussion we've had um, nowadays. It's so complex going into being an owner. And everybody thinks, oh, I'm... I'm the uh, I'm the CEO now. I started my company and bought the dot com, so I'm a CEO. No, you have to earn that title, baby. Uh, it takes a while, and there's a journey. It's a journey of life. You know, it's not, it just doesn't come to you. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate you guys supporting the show. Be sure to share it with your family, friends, and relatives. Call them up right now. Don't call them. Maybe text them because some people are weird about that if you call them. Uh, send, them send them a picture of the Chris Voss Show on Snapchat and say, you should subscribe to this. There you go. Uh, go to goodreads.com for it says Chris Voss, youtube.com for it says Chris Voss, linkedin.com for it says Chris Voss. Chris Voss, one of the tickety talkity. And for the Facebook group that we've kind of set up now with the chat on it, if you want to talk to the show, uh, you can go to chrisvossfacebook.com. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time. And that should have it.